welcome to the Five Aero podcast, a new podcast dedicated to the global aviation industry. Now, Five Aero was established last year to bring together a wealth of industry experience, including airports and airline operations, air traffic control, and aviation finance. Today, we have two of the team with us, Peter Lynham, former head of BA Worldwide Operations, and Graham Lake, the former director general of Canso. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi, Andrew. Very well, thank you. Hi, Andrew. So in each episode, we're going to look at the latest aviation news, and then we're going to take a deeper dive into one of the bigger issues facing the industry. This week, it will be EU261 and the need for new regulation to protect the long-term future of the airlines. So if we're okay, gents, we're going to get straight in and take a look at the news. Aviation is never out of the news at the moment. And there's a couple of things that we're going to discuss today. We're going to talk about where we are now. So looking at the flights and the low factors, uh, the impact of quarantine. And we're going to look at this important issue of the Virgin bailout, which is happening tomorrow. Let's start, gents, with where are we now? Why are we seeing the industry versus where we are at the start of COVID? How are we moving through? What are the flight numbers and load factors looking like? At the moment, Andrew, globally, traffic is down 48%. Uh, in terms of the number of seats being flown. And that had been improving week by week for the last couple of months, but actually it's plateaued. So that's starting to make the industry quite nervous. I think it's been about 52% of the previous traffic of volume for three weeks now and doesn't really show much sign of improving. Now, that's globally. And within that, of course, there are geographic differences. So Europe, which is the market that we are primarily looking at in Five Aero, is 53.7% down. The Middle East, where you are, is 62.7% down. Now, there are some areas where the reduction is less. I think in Southeast Asia, particularly the domestic markets uh, within China, for example, are looking reasonably healthy at the moment. And I think in the United States, the number of flights is slightly distorted by the aid which the US government gives to the industry under the so-called CARES Act. Now, if we look at Europe, of course, within each area, you will find differences. And actually, the UK is the worst positioned within Europe. So UK, the market is down 64% at the moment. And some markets are still essentially stopped. The transatlantic market is, is more or less stopped at the moment because of border restrictions on both sides of the Atlantic. Now, that market is normally worth £45 million a day. £45 million a day. And at the moment, it's a tiny percentage of that. Pitch that for me then. Is, is it, are we flattening out? Is this just a case of we always knew there's going to rebound and then we're waiting and seeing? Or, or what's going on? What's driving those numbers? I think what's driving the the plateau is the fact that some states are starting to reimpose border restrictions. And we've seen in the UK, they had exempted, I think it was about 20 countries from a two-week quarantine when you return from those places. And gradually, more countries are being added to the naughty list recently, Croatia was added um, at the weekend. France was added about a week ago. Now, there are some counterbalances to that. And just in the last couple of days, the restrictions on people coming back from Portugal to the UK have been lifted. Um, For the airlines, this is like trying to hit a moving target all the time. If I talk to my colleagues in the airlines, 
their continually shifting capacity. They had a lot of capacity taking people to France, and now that market has dropped again because of quarantine restrictions. Portugal was flat, uh, and now they're adding back uh, capacity to Portugal. In fact, some airlines such as Jet2 are restarting Portugal for the first time in, in several months. At the moment, Greece is a huge market. If you go into Heathrow Airport Terminal 5 at the weekend now, the departures board is dominated by Greek islands that I've never even heard of. Now, the number of cases is starting to tick up, and there's all sorts of speculation in the media that they'll be added to the quarantine list. Um, And if that's the case, you will see the airlines start to move flights as quickly as they can from Greece to Portugal and other places where the restrictions don't exist. So... It's very difficult if you're a consumer at the moment thinking of maybe booking a holiday for the half term in October, trying to guess at this range which countries will be on the green list and which will be on the red list is well nigh impossible. And and hence, they're not booking. And so until we sort out this quarantine strategy one way or the other, it really is a wait wait and see game because I'm assuming that the business traveller market is completely dead. Yeah, at the moment, if you look at what uh, BA, for example, is flying, it's very much leisure-led. And actually, the load factors are really high on those flights, whereas if you look at some of the transatlantic flights, they're being kept alive by cargo. What we are starting to see as companies start to meet in person rather than over Zoom, we're seeing the people who can afford it, they're, they're looking at taking private jets because that, that gives them some more confidence and some more security from a health point of view. So even as that market starts to come back, it won't necessarily be the airlines in the first instance who are the beneficiaries of that. Peter's raised a couple of interesting points there. First of all, he mentioned cargo. Actually, because of the huge drop in the number of long-haul passenger flights that normally carry cargo in their belly hold areas, Special charters are being flown quite literally around the world by passenger aircraft carrying simply freight. That's freight loaded in the in the belly of the aircraft, but also sometimes on the seats. We've also seen the advent of so-called praters. These are passenger aircraft that have had their seats removed, but don't have cargo doors as such, and are being used to carry light freight, again, around the world. Some of this, of course, is PPE, uh, but it's also other consumable freight that needs uh, uh, fast time delivery, so perishable goods and and such like. And uh, Peter also mentioned the business jet community. The corporate jet market is actually ahead of where it was this time last year. People that can afford it are moving to the business jet option as an alternative to normal passenger airlines. So the market is evolving almost day by day and driving new uh, new trends. Okay, so moving on from that then, is airport testing, we've talked about quarantine, is airport testing the answer? Well, it's one potential answer. Obviously, if we got an effective, widely available vaccine, then that would be probably the best answer. But in the meantime, there are some countries who are providing tests on arrival for people coming from so-called at-risk points. And in some cases, the passenger pays for those tests. And typically, I think it's between 100 and 150 euro or dollars um, to take those tests. And in some cases, the the state pays for it. In some cases, the airport pays for it. In the UK, we're not really doing very much at the moment. But Heathrow Airport 
is pushing the government to implement testing as an alternative. And what's being talked about at the moment is that maybe you would take two tests. You would take a test at the airport uh, when you landed, and then you would take a test five to six days later to pick up whether the virus was actually active at the point you were on the flight. And so that could cut the quarantine from 14 days to maybe six or seven days. But even so, whereas that might be livable with if you're going on holiday, and particularly if you're able to work from home when you get back, it's not really going to do much for the business market. It's really just tinkering at the edges uh, of the of the problem. We need much more predictability in the industry. Uh, the people that are buying the tickets and planning their trips need predictability. They need to understand and know what to, to expect, how long they're going to be restricted for, if they're going to be restricted or not. Uh, and what we see with these strategies is a result, I think, of airlines and airports attempting to find ways around the restrictions that governments are understandably applying. I think governments will start to look at this problem in the round. And I think at some stage with the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of jobs being lost now in the UK, in the aviation and the wider travel industry, it may well be that particularly if deaths from COVID and hospitalizations continue to reduce, the government might decide that it's better to kickstart more of the aviation industry and um, have that, if you like, as a kind of acceptable risk. So I know we could say this from any point during the COVID crisis, but the next three months for the aviation industry is absolutely crucial as we see how governments respond to all of these issues. Absolutely critical, Andrew. And in fact, the, the latest information we have from the global booking companies is that load factors for the coming winter have slipped by 32% compared with what they were six weeks ago. And they weren't very high six weeks ago. Um, so that gives you hard evidence that people are cancelling trips that they'd plan to take this coming winter because of the uncertainty of quarantining. Well, let's move on to more good news then. Uh, the Virgin bailout, we go to the High Court tomorrow. So Virgin, just in summary, Virgin are after a bailout of $1.2 billion and the High Court, they're going to the High Court around their creditors. Where, where are we with Virgin then? What do we think is going to happen? Yeah, and I suppose we should make clear this is Virgin Atlantic because Virgin Australia has its own issues and also there seems to be a dispute in Australia about who is going to take over. But we're talking here about Virgin Atlantic. So what's going to court tomorrow is actually a very small piece of a very large problem. So you have 168 small creditors who between them are owed 54 million, which in airline terms is, is virtually nothing. And they're going to be asked to take a 20% reduction in what they're owed there. And that will produce 10.8 million, which is a tiny sum. And so at the end of that, my old boss, Robert Boyle, has done some great analysis on that. And He's produced some figures this morning, which he's published. So Virgin would have 2.6 billion of debt and 400 million of liquidity. So I think what we're talking about here is it's going to give them a short-term boost, but it is very, very short-term. And within the next six to 12 months, they're going to need a cash injection of at least another billion. Um, because their, their major market, Virgin Atlantic, there's a clue in the title, the transatlantic market is stopped 
at the moment um, because of restrictions on both sides of it. The South African market, which is important for them, is also stopped. And so they're left with a few flights to the Caribbean and Southeast Asia. So they're desperate for cash. And this is almost bound to get approved tomorrow, but it's not going to solve the problem. It's just going to push it back a few weeks. Okay, well, I'm sure we're going to come back to these issues time and time again, but for now, that's that's where we are for the moment. For the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to get into a, a deeper issue around the industry. And, and today we're going to talk about EU 261. I suppose let's start right at the very top and explain to the audience why what is 261 and why are we talking about it? So 261 is a European-wide regulation which was enacted by the EU in 2004. And it was designed to protect the consumer from airlines cancelling flights at the last minute if they could see that that flight, for example, wasn't going to make any money. It effectively fines the carrier for flights which are cancelled within 14 days of the operation. It was extended to include long delays as well to try and prevent airlines consolidating flights. The, The devil is in the detail on this, but broadly, if you arrive at your destination more than three hours after the intention you are entitled to compensation, which varies depending on the length of the route. uh, And the maximum compensation is 600 euros, unless the airline can prove so-called extraordinary circumstances, then the airline has to cough up. And for the large airlines in Europe, this is an annual liability of hundreds of millions of euros. So when I'm sitting in my um, Spanish airport and I find out my flight's been delayed for eight hours, it's this regulation. That's what I'm claiming my compensation under. That's correct. Okay. So, and then why are we talking about it? What's important about this today? So this is a huge cash drain on airlines. It always has been. Over the last few years, the, the airlines have been relatively cash rich. So although it's been one of their priorities, it may not have been the top priority to reform. But at the moment, cash is king. And actually, in this industry, up to 30% of this cash disappears. It goes to claims management companies. So if you were sat in your airport waiting for your flight to operate, it's by no means unusual for you to receive unsolicited text messages from claims management companies saying, are you the victim of a delayed flight? If so, click here. And they do it on a a no win, no fee basis. And and, and typically 30% is the commission that they take if they prove the case. So a whole industry has been set up there over the last 10 years in, in a very similar way to the PPI claims against the banks in the UK. Okay, so I, I'm sitting in my airport, I get my 600 quid claim, 600 euros claim, a claims consultant takes 30% off of me. This all sounds like terrible news for the airlines. Is it, the, is it solely the airlines that are at risk here? Absolutely, Andrew. The issue or one of the issues here for airlines is that they are liable for the compensation, even if another party has caused the delay. Everybody will be familiar with the industrial relations issues in air traffic control in some countries, and they certainly contribute to delays. Equally, some of the airport performance issues that we've seen, even road traffic issues around airports cause flights to be delayed. And yet it is the airline that is liable. Uh, and they're not able to pursue claims of liability against uh, third parties. So the system is asymmetric, it's imbalanced, and really it's actually unfair. It's a good example of 
regulation that was well-intended but has led to unintended consequences and is in dire need of reform. And ballpark it for me, how much, what values are we talking about here? So we've done some work to calculate the value on a per passenger basis uh, at five euro. And ironically, the number that comes up is actually five euros on the cost of every single ticket that's sold. Let's say in the UK, for example, there are about 275 million passengers normally in a year. So every one of those passengers, in effect, costs the airlines five euros in a U261 claims and potential liability. And this is money that just leaks out of the system, that the, the airlines themselves, they carry all the liability on this. So anything could go wrong in that chain, but it's the airlines that take the liability and they're the ones that are footing the bill for this. Yes, they are. But of course, I mean, the airlines are not entirely innocent. There are occasions when the airline can legitimately uh, be held to account for a delay. But the point is that the the system is imbalanced. Uh, We need to see a much fairer system in which the passenger who's been delayed is appropriately compensated, but not beyond the amount that he paid for his ticket, for instance, and not compensated by the airline when the airline is not at fault. It's just on me. I could book a ticket for 50 euros, be delayed and claim compensation of 600 euros. And again, yeah, we all know airlines can be at fault, but that that delay could have been through no fault of the airlines at all. Exactly. And there are certainly extraneous circumstances that the airlines are allowed to caveat. But at the end of the day, this is a financial risk for the airlines that is unreasonable now. The legislation does need to be reformed. And is this the same for point-to-point and network? Does this apply? Does this regulation apply equally over all carriers? I think this is one of the unintended consequences when the regulation was enacted, Andrew, because it's possible if you're travelling on a connection. So let, let's use an example. A customer starts off in Amsterdam, flies into London on BA, and then is flying out to Atlanta. On BA. Now, there is probably a non-stop flight from Amsterdam to Atlanta on Delta or KLM. So in order to attract the passenger to make a detour through London, BA will have to discount the fare. So that's the first point to make. So BA will not have charged the kind of normal market rate, if you like, for that fare. Now, customer leaves Amsterdam on schedule. So airline, air traffic control, ground handler have all done their jobs and the flight leaves on time. The flight gets held up on the way into Heathrow by an air traffic controller, such as Graham. So now the flight arrives in London 15 minutes late. That passenger was on a 60-minute connection. The airlines will want to sell minimum connections at their home bases because that's the only way they'll persuade people to add time to their journey. Passenger now has 45 minutes to get to the second aeroplane and fails to do that because it's just not possible to do that at Heathrow or there was a queue in security or they got lost in the duty-free shop or whatever the reason is. And flight number two also departs on schedule. Now, that customer has been left behind and is now entitled to €600 compensation irrespective of how much they pay. But the airlines and just about everybody else in the supply chain has done everything they're asked to do. And both flights have departed on time. So that was one of the things I think that the European Union just didn't realise when this regulation was put in place, that it was possible for all flights to depart on time, but still 
a liability would arrive for compensation for the delayed journey of the customer. And of course, the airlines can't influence how quickly that passenger walks or runs through Terminal 5 at Heathrow or through Schiphol or through Frankfurt or whatever. You're relying on that customer to make the best efforts. Now, there are some customers, believe it or not, who will game the system because it may well be that they're not in a particular rush to get to where they need to get to. And they realize that there is a possibility of getting 600 euros for nothing here. So they might not necessarily make best endeavors to arrive at the gate for their second flight. Because in the meantime, the regulation also gives them other things. It gives them entitlement to meals, uh, to phone calls, um, and in certain circumstances, hotel accommodation as well. And I've come across many customers in Europe over the last 10 or 15 years who understand this regulation in many ways a lot better than some of the airlines do. And so you do get the system being gamed. And we talk about it as EU 261. So this is obviously EU wide. What's going to happen? So now that the UK has left the European Union, which we keep being reminded, what's going to happen post-transition period, you know, at the end of this year? What we're expecting, unless there's some last-minute change in government policy, is that all the regulations which were in place on the 31st of December will remain in place on, on the 1st of January next year. EU 261 essentially protects consumers, so there won't be many votes in just taking the whole regulation away because the UK is no longer part of the EU. But what there is the opportunity to do is to reform some of the legislation so that consumers are still protected. Airlines have a much easier job reclaiming where it's appropriate money from other suppliers and also somehow look to disenfranchise these claims management companies. So the UK will have the opportunity to rewrite that legislation. Indeed, there is a template for that because the European Union has had a a regulation in draft format now for about 10 years, I think. But of course, it needs all 28 countries to sign up to that. And there have always been other priorities in the European Parliament. So it remains on on the list of work in progress, but never actually makes any progress up the list. Whereas, of course, the UK won't have the same conflicting legislation that it needs to enact. So it will have the opportunity, if it wants to, it could just pick up those suggested reforms which have already been drafted without having to do any extra work. So have we, have we finally found a use for Brexit, not wanting to push my political <laughs> views on anything? Have we finally found a reason why Brexit might be a good idea? Well, I think that at least gives you an example. And we, we know about this in the aviation industry. In fact, we are experts in EU 261 in 5 Aero. But I think what that suggests to us is that there are probably other industries where similar European regulations are crying out for amendments and it just needs the bandwidth to do it and it needs the political will to do it. And it's always going to be easier for for one government or or maybe four if you include the devolved governments within the UK. It's going to be much easier for four people to agree than it is for 28 people to agree. So pulling all these strands together then, so I as a passenger can book my 50 euro flight. I can then get delayed in some European airport for whatever reason that might be, nothing to do with the airlines. 
I can then claim 60, 600 euros of which 30% of that is going to go to a claims management company. And that comes directly back out of the airline's pocket. But ultimately, that's all going to be passed back effectively in the price of my ticket the next time I book because airlines have to recoup that money from somewhere. This seems absolutely crazy. And in a, in a world where airlines, even pre-COVID, were so cash conscious, but right now when cash is absolutely everything, this really is something, it's another thing that needs to be done in the airline sector. It does. And in fact, in some cases, the airlines can't recover that in ticket prices because just general competition issues prevent that because this is a European regulation. It's not a worldwide regulation. If you're a carrier which operates out of the European Union, you're, you're not subject to this, except in one direction. If you fly from an EU country outside, you're subject to this regulation. But if you fly, for example, from Abu Dhabi to London, you are not subject to that in the way that BA, as a European domiciled carrier, is subject. So BA would have to add the five euros to the ticket, but Etihad would, would not need to. So it's not necessarily straightforward to say that the airlines can just add that liability back into ticket prices. But it's, essentially, that's what happens at the end of the day. If the airlines are to stay solvent, they have to find a way of paying the bills. So it will find its way, um, one way or the other, into the ticket price. Or the airline will disappear, which is what's happened a couple of times in the recent past. Indeed. And so this has actually brought airlines to their knees? Absolutely. Absolutely. It certainly contributed to the demise of at least two in the last five years in just the UK. And one of the reasons for that, Andrew, is, and it's one of the peculiarities actually of the European Union, each uh, nation state has its own statute of limitations. So this regulation is interpreted in different ways in all 28 countries. And in the UK, it goes through what is known as the small claims track. So it goes to court and it will appear in front of the same judge who might be refereeing a dispute that you have with your neighbour, for example. And under those laws in the UK, you can go back six years. So somebody would be able to raise a claim, say, on Flybe a year ago for flights which operated four, five, even six years ago. And mm. Flybe is liable to pay that money. So even if the airlines clean up their act and run a perfect operation and never incur any delays for the next year, they will still be paying some of this money. So it's not just a simple matter of working out what the number of delays were within Europe this year and mathematically calculating what the liability is. Because, of course, not everybody claims the money. The airlines at the moment do not have to proactively offer the compensation. The passenger has to physically claim it. But as I say, you have to look at how many of those flights were delayed over the last six years. And I've seen airlines who don't even have detailed records. So a passenger can put a claim in and say, I was delayed on this flight. Um, there'll be airlines who have no way of proving whether that happened five years ago. And so the default is they end up paying because it will cost them more in legal bills to fight it than it will to pay the 600 euros. And I'm guessing then if we start to see the M&A activity, which everyone is predicting in the market as we start to see airlines consolidate or go out of business, whatever it is, this is really going to become an issue when you start to go through the due diligence process for the, the acquiring party to understand actually what are they buying. 
Exactly. And I, I remember in my personal history, when BA bought BMI, the other large British airline, we inherited under the statute of limitations, all of the claims that they may have been liable for over the past six years. Jens, I, I honestly had no idea. Um, a fascinating discussion. So if anybody wants to find out more about this issue, I think the best way is contact any member of the team on LinkedIn, or you could go to fiveaero.com. And um, as always, please do like and review the podcast on whenever you get your podcast from. And we all look forward to speaking to you next time. <laughs>